0: took some of my message away i was going to say boy october's moving fast we're already in double digits and then ask you guys to continue to pray for ann and sal but that's already been done so check um really lift up sal because he's going through the modern public medicine so um he he gets sent to one doctor who isn't the right one and they get him a Referral to another one, it takes weeks. It's really rough. We dealt, that when we were dealing with the homeless, we would dealt with a guy that he, basically his ankles were bags of water. They were just horrible, he could barely walk. And modern medicine, in this new era, sent him to physical therapy multiple times. And the therapist would see his ankles and say, I can't help you, and they say I'm just, I'm just doing what they told me to do. So they'd move him on to to someone else. So just pray that he gets the right doctor, someone that takes care of him and gets him healed. He is getting tired of this, waking up and feeling lightheaded. And I know I've been that same way this past week. So thank goodness for Sunday. I feel so much better. Also, if you didn't know, we had a birthday this past week. And for the second time ever, I, I, I bought something, but Amazon let me down. So, Tom, you'll have to, you'll have to get it later. But it's the only the second time ever that I can remember I bought a Dodger hat. <laughs> but, but they always come with the caveat. This one's a little bit different. It's Angel Red. <laughs> the other one I bought is for uh, uh, one of my employees, Husband is—they live in Boron, so if you know anything about those people, they're like dedicated to their high school, and their high school's gold and black, and their arch rival is on base Desert High School, and they're purple. So they were giving—his family was giving my coworker a hard time because she would wear her favorite purple outfit once a week to work, and once was during homecoming for boron so they were giving it to her so I said okay let's try an experiment so I bought her a purple Dodger hat because they are major Dodger fans and so I got it to her she walked in the house and you just saw the anxiety on the dad's face Mm -hmm. he was like what do I do here (laughs) it's like do I be happy it's a Dodger hat or am I angry it's uh, purple he has told her she was way wrong for even putting it back so So, that's coming. And also, this is the first Sunday we get to celebrate little Florence being with us. So precious. Now, we are going to continue in Isaiah for quite a while. Um, So today, where are we going? We are going to walk through chapter 3 and the first part of 1. And so we are still moving in Isaiah. We are still moving through the courtroom scene here. If you can imagine this celestial courtroom scene where God is using Isaiah to bring a charge against his people. He's showing show evidence and then share this sentence against Judah and Jerusalem. Last week we went through Judah and Jerusalem's religious condition. And this week we're going to look at God's ultimate judgment based on their social condition. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we come before you just in awe of this book, just in awe of its unifying power and how, especially at this time in, in man's age on earth, we can look and see you working all throughout this book. We see that we never change. We are a hopeless sinner without you. And we just thank you that you came and provided a way to get to you. Just be with us now as we go through your word and we praise you so much for it. Amen. Okay, so we're gonna see that Judah and Jerusalem's social condition follows closely with the corrupt religious system it had and chapter 3 is closely linked to chapter 2 and you can see that in the first word of chapter 3 it says 4 or basically because of all that we went over in chapter 2 here we go and it's payback time in chapter 3 because just as the people of God were really disobedient in religion, they were also disobedient in society. They regarded man and themselves much more important than God. And this is very timely for, for our day and age as we see human leadership and following it and worshipping will bring about a collapse in our culture just like it did theirs. For we know man was not made. To be worshiped God alone is to receive our obedience our praise and our worship so today in Isaiah like I said we're gonna go through 3 1 to 4 1 and we're gonna look at the following sections so we're gonna look at verses 1 through 7 in this imminent collapse of society imminent collapse of society 1 through 7 and then we're gonna go through verses 3 8 And then the first part of verse 9. And we're going to look at the root cause of the collapse. Then we're going to look at the second half of 9 through 11. And we're going to see this retribution coming in the form of justice. And then the longest section, we're going to go through verse 12 all the way through 4, verse 1 and see how this retribution is applied. So verses 1 through 7. For behold, the Lord of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and Judah support and supply, all support of bread, all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor, and the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make their boys their princes, and their infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another. Everyone is fellow, everyone is neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. And in that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. So we see the imminent collapse of Judah and Jerusalem. And what better way to accomplish this, right, than to remove all the bread and water? All forms of nourishment will be gone. We saw something earlier this, earlier in the year, right, when when we first went under this pandemic, you would go to the store and all the shelves would be bare except for fresh fruit and vegetables. For some reason, no one wanted those, and it was. But this won't be all things. I mean, this won't be some things like you went to the store, there was no meat, there was no bottled water, processed foods were gone. And later, as it got more desperate, flour and even yeast of all things, yeast were gone. So this is not just some things like we witnessed, but this is all forms of food and water will be gone. And by reading this, we can't see the totality of how bad this was in our English version, but in the Hebrew language, the, the words, the forms of the nouns that Isaiah uses are both masculine and feminine to give us that totalitary to see just how bad it's going to be and how complete and utterly ruined they would be. So Isaiah uses water and bread to first really strike home with this people. In the next verses, we're going to see what else God will remove. And this should really get their attention. We see in verses 2 and 3, 11 other things he's going to remove. And that's the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skilled magician, and the expert in charms. So Isaiah begins describing the leadership that's going to be leaving Jerusalem and Judah, starting with the protection. So you have the mighty man and the soldier. And there is a distinction. There is a great distinction. God's mighty men that protected his people were basically in that era, they were superheroes. Um, What we see and what we might equate that to in our day is he was saying that he's going to take away SEAL team members, and then regular soldiers but that's just our analogy when you think about it these guys were much more powerful than SEAL team members and you can read about their deeds some of them and it's in second Samuel 23 18 through 38 second Samuel 23 18 through 38 they were so impressive that there was different levels of mighty men ability And they were all ranked according to this. So an example of this, one of the ones I'll give you, is imagine you're in a squadron of 300 men and you're coming into a field and there's one guy standing there. You're feeling pretty confident until this one man takes you all out. That's just how impressive these guys were. So the protection of the people is the first line that's gone, those two. And then next are the national leaders in the judge and the prophet and then the local leaders in the elder and diviner and then isaiah goes in for the pain folks by showing them their sinfulness by announcing even even the people's unofficial leaders the diviner the magician this, those guys would also be going. And, and God is pointing out that when his people stop following him, they will seek leadership from something, and it's usually illegitimate. As we see, yes, the skillful magician, expert in charms, they were all signs of, of man worshiping man. So God has given his warning That everything good for the body and the soul is leaving even the false leadership with it and what is God going to leave in the place well he tells us in verse 4 he says and I will make the boys their princes and the infants shall rule over them now what this is a sign probably of it's it's a symbol of weak leadership so If you've ever had a bizarre boss, someone that is really petty and acts like a child, I know none of us have had them. I know I've been blessed with two in my life. You know exactly what I mean. Um, It can really make for a fun day. And the people may not know it now, but they want, just like we want and need, faithful, godly leaders that look to God for his direction. Um, and it said, instead they will have childlike leaders. And where have we seen this before? The first thing I thought of when i going through this was in 1 Kings 12, 4 through 6. And this is in the time of Elijah. We had a bad king in that country. Um, and uh, verses 4 through 6 go like this. And you may remember the story as I start reading this. And Ahab, who was the king at this time, went into his house, vexed and sullen, because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. Sounds like a ruler of people. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. So the leader of this people was in his room sulking and refusing to eat. And was he a good king? No. We see in 1 Kings 16.30, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all that were before him. So this evil king, this evil king that ruled and also married evil, if you finish the story, you'll see what I mean. And and we're going to get to the Jezebels in a little moment. So in verse 5 it says, And the people will oppress one another, every one his fellow, and every one his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. So in this collapse of godliness, a loud-mouthed, arrogant spirit of self-advancement will appear. Honor will not be given to those who deserve it, but it'll be given to those who properly align to evil what we're seeing here is the scene of a true picture of society living in a rat race culture verses six through seven for a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father saying you have a cloak you shall be our leader and this heap of ruins shall be under you and in that day he will speak out saying I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me the leader of the people. So at the the point here, we see a picture of a people that is no longer taking a careful, prayerful, thoughtful selection to name a leader. Um, God is using Isaiah to show the desperation. The city is in a heap of ruins. And as I was going over, I was thinking about not letting those words pass, for it moves to the point of their desperation, the city in ruins. And if you've never seen one, I can tell you it is something to behold. Um, I know not too many of us have ever seen a city that's in rumbles, uh, and you can take the words for granted and miss the picture being painted here. Um, I know Al and I were part of a team went to the cities of New Orleans and Covington at this was after Katrina and you would see and saw a city in ruins we would go into neighborhoods much like the neighborhoods you live in and there was nothing it was eerie I mean there was nothing there weren't people there weren't people playing it was all the thing was the code you had to learn the code to see what happened to the people that were in that In that house as they wrote the codes and spray paint like who all was here was somebody pass away it was completely bizarre and in Covington you saw this destruction and you saw a woman that was very desperate she lived in this house and all these trees had fallen on her house and she was desperate it was nice the good part is I don't know if she was a believer before but she came to the service we were at, one of our last ones, and hugged us all goodbye and was at church. So that was a great sign. But we got to see a people completely desperate at that time. And God is completely messing with them also with this, with this cloak comment. It's If you get the idea of it, it's basically, okay, you have clothes or you have one decent set, You be our leader. Um, And he's telling that while true leadership takes careful selection, they're going to base their decisions in this time on so much less. Isaiah is describing a breakdown in this city's holy national character and seriousness that will devolve into a picture where we see national welfare, politics, and leadership as a joke. Now, verses 3 through a part of 9, the root cause of the collapse. It says, For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bear witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom, and they do not hide it. The word starting verse 8 is the word for. And this is an explanation of what we just reviewed so far about God's people. They have stumbled and they have fallen based on what we've witnessed. And the second for starting in verse 9 is based on God's people's speech and deeds not glorifying him. And the witness against them is their face. I love that line because think about, where have we seen a picture of rebellion of God's people on the face of the Israelites? One example I got is um, looking at the book of Acts and then what happened to Stephen. And I'll give you a snippet of it in Acts 7:21 through 28, Acts 7, 21 through 28. He said, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. That's a shot right back to where we are today. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now in verse 54, that same part, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, And stopped their ears and rushed him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him I was thinking could you imagine you know when Stephen looked down the faces he would have saw matched exactly what Isaiah is talking about here the filled with distortion and hatred as they're screaming and rushing him to get him out and just kill him so and again, we see in this passage the people are a bit again being equated to Sodom. And Sodom, we know, was filled with filthy people that had lost their way and lost all inhibitions. And in Genesis 19, verse 4, it demonstrates this corruption. It says both young men and old men were sinning. And we know that's not God's plan. God's plan, the older men, are passing down to them this way, this education in how to walk in God's path. Identifying them as Sodom is a great, great insult. You might think it's even worse than if your triple dog dared to do something, to hear that, you know, you are being called Sodom. And you got to think about it because, you know, here God it warns Israel. He loves them. He warns them over and over, all through history. Knock it off. Get right. Or I'm going to take you out. You're going to be captive, but I will bring you back into the land. Sodom, he went and investigated. He went and investigated. And he didn't send a people to conquer. What did he send? He sent sulfur and fireballs down and just destroyed everything and it says not just the people and the structure but everything in that area that grew is wiped out wiped out so don't let someone call you sodom and if they do check yourself so the second half of verse 9 through 11 is retribution coming in the form of justice 9 the second half of 9 starts off woe to them For they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. The one thing I got out of this is I'm sure everyone wants to claim verse 10. (laughs) We want verse 10. 10 says, tell the righteous that it will be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. That's the one part I got out of all this. It's like, let's be a part of verse 10. But imagine God including your behavior in the same context as Sodom and then coming in in 11 saying, woe to you. Um, They have brought evil on themselves and they will be paid in full and the sinner in this case is his own paymaster and the wage for it is evil and death now going back to verse 10 though what we know about this is that righteous are not promised immunity from the troubles of this world but they are promised that it will be well with them in the end This is intended for the remember, for the righteous to remember that, you know, the end of your life here is not the end of life. You have something so much better waiting for you. So much better. And we are to finish this life, and it's not the final act, it's just a race that we are in here on earth, and we are to demonstrate God's love and show our obedience to God. Now, If you look at verse 11 closely, you'll note that in verse 10, it talks in a plural form. Tell the righteous it shall be well with them. Verse 11 goes a little bit different. Verse 11 deals with the person alone, identifying everyone in the crowd that doesn't fall into the 10 category. So basically it says there is no slipping into the crowd to hide and avoid punishment. Judgment is based on the purpose. Isaiah was full intentionally getting that across. Now, verse 12 through 4.1, retribution is applied. Let's look at 12 through 4, verse 1. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women shall rule over them. O my people, Your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the people and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor? declares the Lord God of hosts. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with the scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare the secret parts. In that day, The Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the scarves, the headdresses and the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the armulets, the signet rings, the nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans and the veil. Instead of pure perfume, There will be rottenness instead of a belt, a rope instead of the well-set hair baldness instead of a rich robe a skirt of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall file by the sword and your mighty men in battle and her gates shall lament and mourn empty. She shall sit on the ground and seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread, we will wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. So God's entering into judgment with them. And in 12 and 15, let me read again. It says, My people, infants are their impressors, women will rule over them Oh, my people your guides have misled you they have swallowed up the courses of your the course of your paths the lord has taken his place to contend he stands to judge the peoples i'm sorry 12 through 13 so in this picture the divine plan of kingship has been corrupted god is telling his people that in this day the king that will be in charge is inadequate and the leader will be weak and he will also be heavily influenced by his harem then god who loves his people calls out to them and says oh my people so we know god's people are precious to him and while god's people may be under punishment for a period of time, we know that he will bring them back. And the oppressors he sends them to for captivity, any unjust acts on their part will be repaid. And we're going to get to those a little bit later in the book of Isaiah. We're going to read everything that God promises to do to these people that acted unjustly to God's people. Your guides, it's mentioned here. Isaiah uses an interesting word that's full of irony. It means a leader that is supposed to be, but in reality doesn't. It's just the opposite of being a leader. And then it talks about how the the guides mislead and they've been swallowed up the course of your past. What that's a picture of, the old, if you imagine the old ways of living and being obedient are like signposts on the side of a road that guides you, and those have been all swallowed up, and they're missing. So you see the faithless people that are in charge are seeking to satisfy, they're seeking to satisfy their never-ending desire for, pattern, for power. And then in verse 13, we see one of the scariest parts. I know this is the part that I captured right away when I started reading this when we were going through Isaiah and it says God has taken his place to contend and God doesn't rush to judgment so we know when he's going to lay out his judgment that it's serious and when he judges it's true and just um, and since Sodom has been used an example in Isaiah of wickedness um, we see that in Genesis 18, 20, and 21. We see God first investigate, like I mentioned earlier, investigate the cities to see their wickedness. And he said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see what they have done, according altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So he knew, he knew, he, we know God is slow to anger, but when judgment comes, it is final and without exception. And you think about that. You see Abraham looking at the valley after judgments happened. Um, and the Bible tells us smoke was coming up like smoke through a furnace. Um, it was, it was to- total, in total. Verses 14 and 15. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your house. What do you mean by crushing my poor, by grinding the face of the poor? declares the Lord God of hosts. We have a picture here of God's charges against the people. Who are supposed to be caring for the weak but instead they are devouring them god uses the picture of a vineyard here and what's great about this it's so consistent with what he's used all through the bible as talking about his people for example in psalm 80 8 through 11 psalm 80 8 through 11 he says you brought a vine out of egypt you drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared a ground for it. You took, it took deep root and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. And you sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. And we see with that, also we're talking about the poor, God's law required provision for the poor fields were not supposed to be completely harvested and this would allow the poor to come in and glean the remaining crops you see that in leviticus nineteen ten, this book of the law it says you shall not strip your vineyard bare neither shall you gather the fallen grapes in your vineyard you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner i am the lord your god and where do we see this We saw this in action in what book? The book of Ruth, right? She came in to a land with her mother-in-law, and the first thing she did, she went out to glean and find some food for her and Naomi. And this was after Boaz's workers had finished the harvests. So the picture God's communicating is not only were the leaders harvesting everything, but they were also taking everything the people had so it wasn't just not leaving food for them it's going in and taking any valuable possession they had the leaders were forsaking both the intent and the letter of god's law now in verse 15 isaiah continues this image of taking by the poor taking from the poor by give us an image of the rich rulers actually crushing the face of the poor into the millstone like to harvest some more for it and then verses 16 through 4 1 bring us to the climax of the scene that we've been witnessing the woes in in 9 through 11 proclaim the coming judgment the court seen in 12 through 15 establish the judgment of it and now The justice of it. And now we move into the last section. And we see the sentence executed. And in verses 16 and 17 it says, The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab on the heads of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will lay bare the secret parts. Now the Lord has taken his place to contend or judge and now stands ready to execute his judgment. We move on to the, the women of Zion in 16 through 25. Then we're going to look at Zion herself in 26 and then back to the women in four-one. Now what we're looking at in 16 is a picture of an arrogant, power hungry people who will never satisfy their appetite with riches and attention. Like in verse 12, these are the daughters of Zion who stay in their man's ear to influence and get their way. Now think back to Jezebel. When her weak husband was sulking, she took action and she had an innocent man killed to get his vineyard and keep their power solidified. But we will see God execute judgment on the proud sitting daughters of Zion. In 16 we see everything that was meant to attract attention from walking with the neck outstretched, looking around with the huge appetite, reminiscent of Proverbs 7, and that is a great section of the Bible, Proverbs 7. If you want to take a note and read that later, uh, much like Al gave us homework last week to read Micah 4, here's, here's a homework, read Proverbs 7. And it gives you more of a de- definition of wanton look. And it says also here that they, minced, they went mincingly along as they walked. If you're saying, what does that mean? It means they had such jewels and, and noisemakers on their ankles. They, they soon found out if they took short, deliberate steps, it made a lot of noise and attracted attention. Got people looking to see that it was them coming down the street. Now we need to understand too, God is not denouncing his people for having a prosperous life. But what he is condemning is the greed and the arrogance that developed from it. Um, They should have been more responsible. They should have cared for others. But they only desired more power and more wealth. And 17 rightly starts with the word, therefore. Um, Since you have not obeyed, therefore he will strike these daughters of Zion with a scab and not just a scab the word used here is the same in Leviticus 13:2, and it's talking about leprous tissue so the scariest word for us these days is cancer in this society it was leprosy so Jesus God was going all out on them so God will leave them scarred and expose them And he will leave them ashamed. So their life's goal was to be seen and admired. And God will soon have them seen all right. He'll see them seen as bald, scarred, and exposed. And verses 18 through 24. And this mirror is very similar if you look at it, to verses 2 and 3. And it's in this day is what he's going to take away. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, the amulets, the signet rings, the nose rings, the festal robes, mantles, cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans in the veils and then it gets down to what will be left instead of perfume there will be rottenness instead of belt a rope instead of well-set hair baldness instead of a rich robe a skirt sh- a skirt of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty now in this section their life of ease is lost to sorrow Isaiah walks us through what finery they'll be losing dis- to their disobedience. And in verse 24, he uses the word instead to sound out five times. And so, I don't know if my wife heard me yesterday, but what I did is signify this. I went onto to YouTube and found the, cell of, the sound of like a, like a deep, rich church bell and let it ring, you did hear that? You, let it ring the five times as I went through the insteads. It really gives you an idea of what Isaiah was trying to get across to these people. Again, we lose this in English, but what he's trying to do is just make that sound, the bong, instead. So, Tyler, you can go home and do that to your parents. and Play the big, deep sound okay so you get that word it's just like condemning sound a condemning sound is what's being said there so the items being taken away for them is due to their sin and not the item it is what they are using to replace obedience these things so the women have devoted themselves to beauty and not God and his commandments and now all their prized possessions would be gone. All right, 25 to 4, verse 1. It says, Your men shall file by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty, she, sh- she shall sit on the ground. with She shells. And the seven men shall take hold of one man in that day saying we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes only let us be called by your name take away our reproach so we move from daughters to mothers as we see this city come to defeat the soldier and the mighty man will fall in battle and they will be there will be great sorrow over the land and because of it there's going to be a great disproportion, uh, disproportion of women to men. So in three six, men were taking hold of a man to try and make him their ruler. And now we see women are trying to grab a hold of man to seek a husband. So the women have gone from ornately parading through the city, seeking attention, to now stripped down, bald and bare, Running and grabbing any man still breathing and trying to seek a husband. So again, God is trying to show us that we are not to put our faith in man. When men showed a reliance on social strength, and when he was taken when it was taken away, they were willing to follow anyone that had a cloak. Now the women gave their all to beauty and to showing it off and in end there were no takers so they took themselves in their current condition chasing after whatever was left to take away the reproach isaiah tells us in 222 not to put our trust in man and now we see why in isaiah we are seeing a god who loves his people greatly trying to gain their attention that they have taken their eyes off him and they're only the seeking the things of this world. In this trying time that we're in even, it's even of great comfort to know that the same God wants our attention. He only wants our attention and he wants us to develop it and have a strong, strong relationship with him. Where, when all things take place, we are turning to him for either praise, Or guidance and how do we know this well it's going to be about a month and we're going to be looking in the book in Isaiah chapter 7 and we get to verse 14 there's a prophecy that we know has been fulfilled it says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and and shall call his name Emmanuel Emmanuel, that means God with us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you that these thousands of years since Isaiah was written speak fully, speak fully of you coming, you being on earth, you dying for our sins and promising us, a way back to you. We thank you for this so much. And we just want to now come before you in communion and remember this promise you've given to us. Amen. So this is that time, this weekly time, where we can come and have fresh juice and bread for communion. It almost was very different. Thank goodness my wife discovered that the juice was open and in the cupboard all week in the closet so that would have been interesting it would remind us of Egyptian communion that uh, on a trip there we had communion with this Egyptian church and as you got this cup up to your mouth you felt your lips burning we come to find out that you know Egypt's a dry state and but pastors believe it or not, can write a prescription and get out alcohol for communion. Now this looked like juice, but it felt like Jack Daniel's. So, bless their heart. Um, So we get to come together now as a body, and we get to celebrate communion, this time where we get to remember God's promises to us, and Jesus left this promise to us, so we gladly take this weekly. We'll get to come together and, and, and share the bread, which symbolizes his body broken for us, and this cup that covers a multitude of our sins. And also, we're going to take a moment before we do, and we're going to have music played, and it's a time to remember what God said in, in Corinthians, how he wants us to make sure that we've set everything aside, every sin aside in our life, and we're coming with the right heart to celebrate communion. So we're going to do that now. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you as we get to move into this precious time of communion with you. We thank you so much for this act and how we remember it weekly and how we just get to partake in this symbol of your great love for us that you came and gave, amen.